the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. God sent Jesus, the Messiah of the world, down to save us. Jesus worked many miracles, healing the sick, cleansing lepers, causing the lame to walk and the blind to see. Many demons were cast out in his name. Jesus sent out his disciples to preach the good news of repentance, to turn away from sin and prideful arrogance, thinking that one could save themselves, and turn to God, humbly acknowledging he is the only way to true life. Today, we will dive into Jesus sharing the only way we get to heaven, as we join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We mustn't forget that Luke has written his gospel to us that we might have a reliable faith. He said, Theophilus, I'm writing this to you that you would know of a surety the things that you've heard. I've been, been around this thing from the beginning. You know, I've talked to the people who were here from the start, and I want you to know that the things you believe are true. We look at so many things in life. Every once in a while, I'll be driving around, and I'll think, Lord, are you there? Because, you know, we don't see him physically. Lord, are you there? But then, of course, what do you do? You start looking around at creation, and of course he's there. This didn't happen by itself. This didn't just engineer itself. And you realize that, and then you think of the promises of God and how he's come through for you in your life. One of the areas that shows such a different perspective that could not have been created by man is what we're going to study today as Jesus shares the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, Jesus is going to share a story here that, you know, is definitely not of this world and lets us know he is definitely here He is definitely real and reliable. But what prompts that story is an interesting question. How does one get to heaven? J.C. Ryle said, This is a question which deserves the principal attention of every man, woman, and child on earth. For we are all dying sinners going to be judged after death. Sadly, few of us take the time to consider that question. You know, we're always trying to figure out what we're going to wear, what we should eat, or how we should enjoy ourselves, or how we can prosper in this life. So as we study a man who asked Jesus this question today, may all of us give it the due attention it deserves, which is a redundant statement, but that's okay. But you give it due attention. So verse 25, Luke chapter 10. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Life. Now, the behold there is, check this out. And the reason it's there, we have to think about what came before. And what we studied last week was where Jesus, as the disciples, he's explaining to them the gospel. And earlier in chapter 10, he's telling them that he's going to die. He's going to go to the cross. That's not in chapter 10, it's chapter 9. But then in 10, he sends the 70 out to go prepare the people for his arrival as he's on his way to Jerusalem. And they come back and they say, Lord, everything was awesome. God did great things. And people were, you know, healed and demons were 
cast out and it was great. And the Lord reminds me, he says, don't rejoice in that, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, that you have received the good news. After he says that to them, he praises his father. He says, God, you have, are so wise. They revealed that truth, that truth of eternal life to Guys like these, guys who didn't think they had it figured out, guys who didn't know, guys that no one would look to as the experts. Thank you for revealing it to them instead of those who think they already have it figured out. What's interesting is just after Jesus finishes declaring that his father was wise to do that, guess who shows up? One of the guys who thinks he's got it all figured out. <laughs> an expert, in the, it says a lawyer in the King James. It just means an expert in the law of Moses. This was a guy who was around scripture his entire life. He was either copying it, studying it, or debating it with others who did the same. And so here he is. This is a guy who thinks he's got it all figured out. And he comes to Jesus with a question. Luke tells us that he was tempting Jesus, that's probably not the best way to put it, it means he was examining or putting Jesus to the test. So his question wasn't genuine, he didn't want to really know the answer, he thought he already knew the answer, as we'll see in a moment. He wanted to know how Jesus would answer to see if Jesus would pass his test on what the answer was. I think that's sad, because when we look at this day when Jesus was ministering to these people, how many times did he bump into religious leaders who are around the word of God, studied it, debated it all the time, and they didn't get it? it? Happened a lot, didn't it? A lot. Jesus would talk to them and go, hey, you know how it's written in the Bible? And they would go, we don't know how to answer that. But that's all they did. See, the religious leaders, many of them, they had a loyalty to the idea of God's word, but they didn't love God's word. They were interested in the idea of truth, but not truth itself and how it should impact our everyday lives. And when that's the case, I can believe all the right things, but remain completely unaffected by their power to change me. And I don't want that to happen to me. I can be theologically correct, and yet practically so far away from how Jesus wants me to be. Because those truths, it's only the idea of them that matters to me, and not how they impact my life. Let's not be like that. If I could say, well, what is one of the biggest church problems the Western church is facing today? It's this. We have tons of people out there going, the Bible's the word of God. Jesus is the only way. We have no clue what this thing says, though, and we certainly aren't living it out. We know exactly what every political pundit stands for. We know what our radio talk show hosts, everything that they believe. We even know every single member of ISIS that's in that caravan that's coming up from Mexico, right? We know all sorts of things that we really don't know, but we don't know this thing. My challenge to myself always is, is, Will, are you, do you really know what's in this thing? Or are you just in love with the idea of this thing? Listen, I don't love Christianity. I love Jesus. <laughs> I love Jesus. I don't love the idea of Jesus. I love the person of Jesus. I don't love the idea of Christianity. In fact, the idea of Christianity, it it offends my pride. The idea of Christianity, it goes against what my flesh wants. So I'm not in love with those ideas. These ideas challenge me. These ideas convict me. These ideas bring me low. And you know what they seek to do? They seek to slay me. (laughs) They seek to put me to death. So I don't like the idea of Christianity. I like Jesus and I like the truth he brings to my life that makes me different than I am because the way I am, I'm dead men's bones. It's the truths, it's what the scripture says that's important, not just the ideas. And if we wanna impact people around us, we can't be like these guys. We've gotta let those ideas, the truths, the scriptures, the words themselves seep into our hearts and change the way we live. 
What is this guy's question? It's a very important one, even if he's not genuine in asking it. He says, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Master is the lowest term of respect for a rabbi. So he's not giving Jesus the due respect that most other people would. He's just, it just means teacher is what master means. Teacher doesn't even mean rabbi. He's not giving him the level of rabbi. She says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Literally, in the original language, it means, what must I have done to receive eternal life as a gift? Now, that's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? Gifts aren't earned. You don't do things to earn gifts. But before we get into that, why is he asking that question? Well, this was a common theological question among rabbis. They were always arguing the answer to this question. Jesus himself was asked it on three separate occasions. And for good reason. Is there any more important question than how can my sins be forgiven? Or how can I have a relationship with God? Or how can I live forever in heaven? I, don't, I can't think of a more important question than those. Now the question is indeed flawed. Which is why the rabbi struggled to answer it correctly. Gifts are not earned. But isn't that how we kind of, we train from the earliest on? Right? You know? You better not pout. You better not cry. You better not What's the other word? I'm telling you why. Right? He's making a list. He's checking it twice. And if you've been naughty, he's not bringing you any what? Gifts. How did, what? Gifts? I never earned anything my parents got from me on Christmas. No matter how hard I thought I tried, my folks would just love me and they just wanted to see me smile and See the surprise on my face and make me feel special. Had nothing to do with what I'd earned. Had nothing to do with whether I was a good kid. It's not like the teenage years. My parents were like, Cole, for you. No. They wanted to see me smile, even though the day before I was breaking their heart. It's a gift. You don't earn gifts. Question's flawed. See, this is, and that's why Jesus' response to the question every single time is the same exact thing. He goes, if you want to earn eternal life, the answer is perfection. Every single time they came to him, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, love your neighbor as yourself. And do it always. You want to earn eternal life? Keep the law. That was his answer every single time because that's the only way you can earn eternal life. But instead, this time of just telling the man, Jesus asks him a return question first. One that was, oh, right up his alley. It's almost like Jesus served him a softball. He says unto him, what is written in the law? How do you, how do you read it? What do you think? You know, what does the scripture say? And how do you understand them to be? That was a common, how do you, how do you read us that? It was a common rabbinical way to say you have the floor. You know, that was a common way to do that. How do you read it? And, and Jesus, rather than, you know, answer a question he knew this expert was convinced he already knew the answer to, Jesus gives him the opportunity to share. Now, I do think it's fascinating, though, that Jesus starts off by, before he says, how readest thou? He says, what is written in God's word? It's so sad today to see this question, how do you get to heaven? How, does, how can I be saved? How can a man's sin be forgiven? That when this question is posed to pastors and they say, well, we can't really be sure. You know, it's arrogant to think we can understand God's word. We are uh, fallen creatures. Our capacity to understand is nowhere near God's. Therefore, we, we, we can't really understand, you know, how salvation works. And we're pretty sure the evangelical church has messed it up for a long time. So it's better to say we can't answer that question definitively. Hogwash! Don't ever answer that question that way. Jesus, he didn't say, Master, how should we inherit eternal life? Well, you're all fallen creatures, and so, you know, you really can't figure it out, and God's word is too hard to understand. We probably, you messed it up so many times. No, he says, what does the Bible say? That was his answer. 
What does the scripture say? When asked this most important question, that's what Jesus said. If God's word couldn't be understood by God's people, then Jesus wouldn't have said that. Listen, God has made his word in a way that even the youngest believer can understand it. Now, does that mean you're going to understand everything you read in the scripture every time you open it up? No, I still don't understand stuff. I come to stuff and I go, hmm, I don't know what that means. And believe it or not, Pastor Will comes to things sometimes and he goes, I still don't know what that means after studying it all week. And sometimes you've heard me say from this pulpit, I'm not sure what that means. But let me tell you something. I can open my Bible and anytime I read it, I can at least find one thing that I can apply to my life that God will speak very clearly to my heart and say, Will, this is how I want this to affect you. This is what I want you to do, and this is how I want you to live. Or this is what I think about you. You know, I want you to praise me for that. This is my promise to you. Trust me in this. Always. If you have a hard time understanding your Bible, there's only one of two options. Either you're not born again, or number two, you're just not investing the time into it that you need to. Most of you, I would say that's probably the case. We read, you know, so, and, and we start off, you know, with, I'm going to read my Bible today. And you flip it open, and you're like, Leviticus 3. Take the book and cut it in 17 pieces and do this and do that. And you're like, oh, I don't understand the Bible. And you close it. I know I'm exaggerating, but the idea is we approach it and we, we don't have this regular reading. We, we, we tend to read a couple verses and we don't understand those verses. And so we give up. Don't do that. I had a guy who I knew who uh, he was struggling with his, uh, I'm going to fall. He was struggling with his just his faith. And uh, I was kind of discipling him and, and I was encouraging him. I was like, you got to read your Bible today. And he's like, that's great, Will. He said, but I don't, I don't get anything out of it when I read. I'm like, what do you mean don't get anything out of it? He's like, I just read it. I don't hear God speaking to me. I don't hear God teaching me anything. And I said, oh, okay. I said, then read until you do. He goes, well, how long do I do that? I said, until you hear from God. It was so cool that night. He called me up. It was late at night. And he said, Pastor Will, it worked. He goes, it took six chapters of Ephesians, but it worked. And that guy's walking with the Lord now and he, he regularly reads the word, applies it to his life. Listen, like anything, it's, 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 it takes time. To, you, gotta, you gotta practice at it, you know? Nobody picks these things up and becomes Billy Graham, you know, or Chuck Smith. I'm learning new things every day. I hope I'm becoming a better pastor week by week. And I hope I'm becoming a better Christian week by week, you know, as I read it and apply it to my life. And the same thing will happen for you. You might not be able to handle all the intricacies of the prophecies of Ezekiel the first time you pick up a Bible. But you can start in the book of John and start reading and, and then read until you find at least one verse that you can apply to your life and say, that's something God spoke to me today. And I promise you, if you will invest the time into it, those length will start to shorten over time as you get to know the Lord better and you hear his voice more clearly. So Jesus, he believed that the word could be understood. You know, my, da- my daughter, I love her and I love all my kids, but she came the other day with a, you know, an issue that she was having and, and mommy said, you know, to her, she said, you know, well, you read your Bible every day, you know, and, and she said something along the lines of, yeah, because you make me. She's like, I need to want to do it. I didn't teach her that. We didn't teach her that. She got that just from reading this thing on her own that it needs to be more than just reading it, Right? That's because there's a God out there who loves her. There's a Jesus out there who's living inside her heart. And he wants to teach her just like he wants to teach you, just like he wants to teach me, you know? And that's the way it is for all of us. He wants us to understand it. He wants us to live it out. Jesus placed high honor on God's word. You know, he stated that all creation would fail at some point. Heaven and earth will pass away. But he said his word would not. Does the Bible have that place of honor in your life? 
Now, this expert, how does he answer? It says, and he answering said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This expert, he quotes some good passages. He quotes from part of the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter six, four and five, which says, the Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, one of their most important verses. And then it says, and you shall love the Lord your God with everything in you. That's uh, Deuteronomy 6, 5. So he quotes that, one of the most important principles. And then he follows it up with Leviticus nineteen eighteen, kind of an obscure verse in the middle of nowhere that says, love your neighbor as yourself. This guy knew the scriptures well, and he takes the two and puts them together and says, this is what it's all about. This is how a man inherits eternal life. This is what you got to do. And this is the exact answer that Jesus gave when he was asked this question by another expert just before he went to the cross. So this guy has the right answer. The only question is, is he actually living it out? And that's how Jesus answers him. Verse 28, Jesus said unto him, you have answered right. You have answered correctly. This do, and you shall live. The expert thought he was testing Jesus, but Jesus was actually testing him, wasn't he? He said, you know, I I want to know the answer. I want to see if he gets the right answer. And Jesus said, I want to see if he gets the right answer. Are you living it out? You know the right answer, but do you know the right answer? Are you living it out? This do, it's an interesting phrase. It's imperative present, which means it's a command that must keep going on forever and ever. He says, you must keep on doing this forever and ever. Loving God with everything in you perfectly and loving your neighbor as yourself perfectly. And then you can earn eternal life. Sounds easy, right? Jesus' words, not mine. If you want to earn salvation from God, that's the only way. It's the only way. Has anyone loved God and love others at all times without fail for their entire lives? Of course not. No one except Jesus, which is why eternal life can't be earned. It's a gift that must be received by faith. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. He, he who is perfect, who does no wrong, he loved us. He saw us in our helpless place where we couldn't do this, couldn't be saved, couldn't earn heaven on our own, saw us in that place and said, I'm not going to leave him there. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, places their trust in him, they won't perish, but they'll have everlasting life. That's it right there. Because we can't do this. We should try to do that and live that out with God's help, of course, but if you're doing that to be saved or doing that to go to heaven, trying to be good to go to heaven, you will never make it. If a person, you say, but I'm better than a lot of other people out there. That's fine. But if I try to jump to the moon from this pulpit and you do it from the highest peak on the earth, neither of us are making it. That's how wide the gap is. It's not that you're not better than somebody else, but how wide the gap of where perfection is, is the problem. Jesus' answer, which got down to everyday life, should have humbled this man and taken the discussion a different direction. The man should have, instead of smugly, you know, thinking to himself, I'm going to test Jesus, when Jesus laid that on, are you living it? I mean, that's the truth, but are you living it? The man should have went, you know what, he's right. This is more than just a concept to believe in. It's a way of life. I could try my best. I I can't live that out. I haven't lived that out. Does that mean I'm doomed? And doesn't that mean everyone else is doomed? How can men who can't live this out make things right with God? And I guarantee you, if that was his humble tone, if the expert had done that, Jesus would have offered the gospel at that point. But instead of humbling himself, the man trying to justify himself, he seeks to explain why it's okay that he hasn't lived it out because no one's been able to figure out who a neighbor is. He says to him, it says in verse 29, but he, willing, determined, he was determined to justify himself, to declare he's righteous, to prove he's in the right, even though he hasn't done what Jesus just said, what his own words said he should do. 
to prove he's in the right, he says to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? The phrase there, and who is my neighbor, is yet, okay, Jesus, you know, yes, that's true, and now I see you tell me to go and do, do, do that, you know, but, but yet there's a problem with that, Jesus, who is my neighbor? If I don't know who my neighbor is, I can't be expected to live this out. See, he came to test Jesus, but now he's trying to prove to the teacher why he deserves an A instead of an F. That the answer isn't understandable, and therefore it can't be lived out. You know, Jewish rabbis frequently split hairs over this question of who their neighbor was. Most of them excluded Gentiles and, for sure, Samaritans. They were not neighbors. And thus, he hopes to give Jesus a question that doesn't have a winning answer. Remember when Jesus was asked the question, should we pay taxes? That's supposed to put Jesus in a a fix, right? Because if Jesus says yes, then all the people will go, we hate taxes. They were all Republicans, right? Hated taxes. I'm a Republican. I hate taxes, all right? They all hate taxes. And so if Jesus said, well, you pay your taxes, and they, they would all turn against Jesus. But if Jesus said, don't pay your taxes, those dirty scoundrels, right? Then what would they, the leaders do? They would go and say, hey, uh, nice Roman centurion. We have a guy over here telling everybody not to pay their taxes. Get rid of Jesus. And they thought they had him. They had him. And of course, what did Jesus say? Whose uh, picture's on the coin? Caesar. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. That snake, how'd he get out of that? This guy's trying to do the same thing here. Same thing here. Get Jesus in a situation where his answer can't win. Because if, if Jesus says everybody's your neighbor, then the people turn against him. Even Gentiles. Somebody's going to go, what about Gentiles? You know, I, somebody asked me this morning, what about Nancy Pelosi? And I said, yes, she's your neighbor. <laughs> or if you come from the other side, Donald Trump is your neighbor. They are your neighbor. And you got to love them. It's not an option. You got to be kind to them. And sometimes you may be called to lay down your life for him, just like Jesus did for us. If he says, somebody, what about Gentiles? And Jesus goes, yeah, Gentiles are your neighbor. Oh, I'm not following this Jesus guy anymore. What about Samaritans? Yeah, they're your neighbor too. We're really done. That's the idea. You know, there, there's no, and, and then what if Jesus goes, well, you know, I'm not really sure who your neighbor is. So then, the, he has, then Jesus loses all moral authority to tell us to do love our neighbor, right? So he figures, I got him. And this is really what everything was leading to. I got him, you know? He's no better than any of us. So what does Jesus do? He tells the guy the same thing, but he does it by illustration. He tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now the Romans called that road from Jerusalem to Jericho the red and bloody way. If you ever go to, go to Israel with us, you'll see why. Because you, you drive through those streets, and even with all the, the modern roads and everything today, you go through there, and it's just hills upon hills upon hills. Like, you ever see your kid, they write hills with, like, little bumps? That's exactly what it looks like, just desert, not green. And you have to go south of Ju- uh, Judah, Judea to see the green. It's beautiful there. But there, it's desert. Any number of places for multiple da- bandits to hide. Multiple groups of bandits to hide out there. So very few people traveled that way alone, but this guy does. So this guy's not the smartest dude. And as he's traveling down this way, he is fell among thieves, which means he was surrounded by these professional robbers. These are professional bandits. It's all they do is they, they, they professional thieves. And not only did they strip him of his clothing, it says they wounded him. That means they severely injured him by blows and they beat him to the point where he was almost dead. And he would have died in this forsaken area. But his luck turns around. Other people are on the road. People whose entire lives are dedicated to serving others. 
Two of them. The first one, it says, and by chance, an unexpected coincidence, there came down a certain priest that way. A priest? Ha, I'm in good luck here. A priest's role was to go before God to serve on behalf of the, of the people and to go before the people on behalf of God. I mean, that was this guy's job, to serve the people. Surely he would help this man. Nope. And when he saw the guy, the guy dying, it says he passed by on the other side of the road. He just kept going. Oh man, there's bandits about. I need to get going to find a town. But that's okay. There's somebody else who should help him coming. Verse 32. And likewise, a Levite. Who's a Levite? A Levite's job was to teach the people God's word, to serve the people, to be a living example of what's right and good for them so they would know how to walk with God. Surely he will help. Nope. He came and he looked on him, but then he passed by on the other side. Too dangerous. Got to get out of here. Bandits close. Jesus, he doesn't use a priest and a Levite to be critical of priests or Levites. I mean, I think we've all run into bad apples who were leaders, right? Maybe even in church. But he gives these guys to give a contrast with the one, the person who does help this man. Here's these two people who their whole lives should be dedicated to helping others. They don't help this guy. But someone else comes along. And what a shock it would be to the crowd of those listening to Jesus who it is. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was. Here comes a certain Samaritan, a different kind of Samaritan. And it says that when he saw the man, he had compassion on him. The only way to see God face to face is to live in sinless perfection. There is no other way. We could never live up to that standard, which is why Jesus came down, to pay our penalty on the cross and give us the chance to know God to one day stand in his presence and know what he is like with our very own eyes, to hear his voice like we do the people around us. That is the very reason we were created. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.